Hey friends, thanks for joining us again today for part two of a series we're calling The What If Experiment. And today's message, it really just kind of builds on part one of the series last week where we looked at the connection between money and happiness. And we said, uh, if there is a connection between your money or there is a connection between your money and happiness, but it's probably not what you naturally think. So if you missed part one, I really uh, highly recommend you just stop right here Go back and watch that message because it is really foundational, not just for what I'm going to talk about today, but for our whole series. Today, though, I want to build on that connection between money and happiness with two words. And those two words are this, live generously, live generously. And to start, I want to contrast the idea of being generous with this idea of living generously. And the reason is all of us, you included, you know how to be generous. You know how to be generous in the moment. But what we're talking about today is different than being generous in the moment. The kind of generous living that I will talk about today actually will change your life. If you take the advice that I'm going to talk to you about today, you're going to save more money, you're going to give more money, and you're going to consume less. And, and, and maybe, hear me out here, the best outcome of all is you will be less consumed by the things that you want. So, over the next few minutes, I'm going to attempt to teach you how to live generously and motivate you to live generously. I'm, I'm not going to teach you how to give. You, you already know how to give. I think everybody knows how to give. So me saying, you know, this is how you get, that really is nothing. In fact, one of the problems we have, is, especially as Americans, we easily confuse generosity with this next term, random acts of giving, all right? So we get confused with that. We think because we do random acts of giving that we're being generous. But random acts of giving is not generosity. Random acts of giving is just that, random acts of giving. It's not a lifestyle. It's just kind of random and spontaneous. Uh, it's probably more accurate to say that you are spontaneous, not generous. You respond to the moment. So maybe that spontaneity applies to taking a trip or going on a date or making a purchase, right? You didn't plan it. You just felt something in the moment, and so you took action. And for many of us, that right there explains our giving too. Uh, you don't plan to give. We just respond in the moment. And in doing so, we deceive ourselves by thinking that we're generous. We're not generous. We're just spontaneous. And it just happens that sometimes I give as a part of my spontaneity. And, and uh, you'll, you'll know this is true if you only give when you're emotionally moved. And again, this is not living generously. This is living spontaneously. And living spontaneously, it's not necessarily a bad thing. I live a lot of my life spontaneously. Just don't confuse giving spontaneously with being generous. So if giving spontaneously is not living generously, what does generous living actually look like? And you may come away from today, honestly, and you may say, man, Clay, you seem to push really hard on this. And if you say that, that's fair. Because here's why this is so important. You cannot be a follower of Jesus and not be a generous person. You just can't. You can't follow Jesus and continue to put yourself first in every area of life. And I want to say this up front because I know this. This is easier for me than it might be for many of you. 
right? Uh, because this is how I was raised. My parents would give me my allowance when I was a young kid. They would give it to me in change. I would get 10 dimes, right? My, my allowance when I was five years old, I made a dollar a week for all the chores I did. My parents would always pay me in 10 dimes. And that was so that I could easily have 10% or one dime and give that to the church. And, and when I was five years old, this was tough on me. And I remember when I was five, I always wanted a slinky. And, and those of you who remember slinkies, um, they would always get this kink in them about five minutes after playing with them, and then you would need to get a new one. Great marketing tactic for them. And if you're under 40, you probably don't know what I'm talking about. You go look up a slinky. So when I was five, they were 95 cents at Kmart, which, again, another store you can go look up, uh, which meant with tax, you could get a slinky for a dollar. But since I was taught to give 10% away, I would have to wait a whole nother week to buy one because I would only have 90 cents. And this was an important lesson to me because it was teaching me how to put my wanter on hold. Then, I also remember the first time I got my first real paycheck. I was working for a store called Woolworths. <laughs> Again, I'm old. That's another store you can go look up. But for $3.15 an hour, I worked, and my first paycheck, I remember it was $153. And I remember thinking, $15 is a lot of money. I mean, I'm not sure I want to give that away. That is like five hours of work, right? And I wrestled with it because of how I was raised. And, and what, uh, what my high school Sunday school teacher had taught me, he, he said this lesson to us all the time. If God can get it through you, God will get it to you. And he was the most financially successful guy that I knew. So I figured, well, this must be working for him. So what I did is I decided to round up from $15 to $20 and give it. And honestly, I've just never looked back. So I was raised that the first thing you do when you get money is you give a percentage of it away. Right? It's been the habit of my life. So here's the thing. I'm not asking you today to do anything that I haven't been doing literally all of my life. But for some of you, this is going to require an adjustment. But I'm telling you, if you'll do what I'm going to ask you to do, you'll be glad that you did. So how do we define generous living? Let me give you a definition up here. What does it mean to live generously? Generous living is the planned and thoughtful giving of financial resources. When I talk about generous living, it's the planned and thoughtful giving of financial resources. So this first word here, let's talk about this, plan, okay? The planned, all right? In order to live generously, you have to have a plan. I don't care how much money you have or what money it is you don't have. If you don't have a plan, you will not and cannot be generous. If you don't have a plan, it's impossible for you to be a generous person because you will confuse random acts of generosity with generosity. But you're not necessarily a generous person. Again, we'll go back. You are a, spontane a spontaneous person. You will be what is called a triple S giver. They're spontaneous, sporadic, and sparing. Right? Without a plan, your giving will be spontaneous. You will only give in the moment. It will also be sporadic. When you do give, it's only when you see a need or when people ask you for it, and it will be sparing. You'll never give as much as you could actually give if you don't have a plan. You will feel the strain of what you give. I'll give you that. But you will never maximize your potential to give without a plan. It's just impossible to maximize that without a plan. 
uh, years ago, I mean many, many years ago, uh, we had this guy come to one of the churches that I worked at. And he said something about money that really has stayed with me for nearly 30 years. Uh, this is what I learned about money. Basically, what he said is there are five things that you can do with money. There's only five things. And this is what he said. You can spend it. You can repay debt. You can pay taxes. You can save it. And you can give it. There's only five things that you could do. And as you look at this list... That's actually the order that most of us live in. And it's actually the order that most people that you will encounter live in. Spend it, repay it, pay taxes, save it, give it. Which amounts to this. Me first, creditor second, government third, me fourth, others last. Now actually, this is me second, right? Because the things I borrowed money for were for who? Me. So it's me, me, government, me, others last. Now look carefully. I don't mean this in any judgmental way. I, I just want to help. But sometimes in helping, you have to face the truth of your reality. If this is the order of your giving, right, and, and giving is last on the list, you are not a generous person. Now why would I say that? Because if you have put yourself above everybody else, it's hard, maybe even impossible, to have a true heart of generosity. And honestly, if you're, a follow, if you're not a follower of Jesus, this is up to you. You can do what you want with it. But if you call yourself a Jesus follower, you can't live like this. If you're a follower of Jesus, right, and you think what I'm saying is harsh, I, I can completely understand that. But don't take my word for it. Just go read the Gospels. Just go read what Jesus has to say about it and draw your own conclusion. But the way that I read it and the way that I've lived my life is you can't follow Jesus if other people are last in any capacity. Because the whole idea of following Jesus is putting others first. Why? Because he put you first. This is why Jesus had so much to say about money because money oftentimes determines the key to our heart. And it's the thing that determines where our heart is. But, hey, don't take my word for it. Let's look at what Jesus has to say about this in Matthew chapter 6. Jump down to verse 19, and he says this. Don't store up treasures here on earth, where, earth, where moths eat them and rust destroys them and where thieves break in and steal. Store your treasure in heaven. So right away. He says, don't do what other people typically do, right? They just give to me, 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 government, me, right? Me first, me first. It just erodes away. And someone comes along and takes it. So store your treasures in heaven. And what does he mean by that? Well, if you read the teachings of Jesus, he talks a lot about this thing called the kingdom of heaven. And a kingdom is just where the kind of the area where that particular uh, will of that king is done. So, for example, the kingdom of Saudi Arabia is just the area where the will of the king Solomon is done. So, the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven is just the will of our heavenly father where it is done. So, to store up treasures in heaven is to invest our finances where the will of God is being done. And that means primarily investing in a local church. 
but it does not mean that you should only give to the local church, okay? There are a lot of organizations or needs that show up that represent the will of God. And when you give to those, you store up, as Jesus says, treasures in heaven. But Jesus goes on, and he makes this very important statement. And in it, it's the reason he talked about money so much. It is the reason that we as a church talk about money so much. So it goes on, and then in verse 21 he says, Wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. In other words, where your treasure is, your heart is. Where your heart goes, your treasure goes. Jesus knew this. He didn't need anybody's money, right? He just understood the power of money. And he understood that if his father's kingdom was going to be first in our practical everyday lives... His Father's kingdom had to be first in our practical, everyday finances. So again, we're called to be others' first people. And if others, which includes God, are last in the way that we manage our money, we are not others' first people. And here's the other thing. If you live this way right here, if you live this way long enough, eventually you'll be a hypocrite. If you're a Christian, you'll be a hypocrite. And here's what I mean by that. Eventually, you're going to hit a financial bump. You'll lose your job. You'll take a pay cut. Or there'll be some sort of massive medical bill or some other huge financial wild card that hits you. Do you know what Christians do when we have problems? We pray, which is a good thing. But as a Christian, if you never invite God into your finances, meaning you never want him messing around with your money, how hypocritical is it now to expect him to become involved in your finances? So, let's say I spend my whole life where God and others are last. And then suddenly, when I have a need, right, it's, it's please God, you are first. I got to sell this house. I need a job. I need a pay raise. I need a miracle to pay this bill. Eventually, if you live like this, in this order, you're going to be a hypocrite. And I know you don't want to be a hypocrite. You, you don't even like hypocrites. None of us like hypocrites. So you need to reverse that order now because you are a Jesus follower. Now, it's not that you shouldn't pray when you hit a financial bond. That's not the takeaway that's here. Of course you should pray. In fact, many of the people that I know come to their senses financially when they hit that bump, right? They begin to reverse the order and they invite God into their finances. So I'm not saying you don't pray. But I am inviting you to make God a priority in your life now, before the crisis. I'm inviting you to make generosity a habit now, not when a major need pops up. To do anything else is to treat Jesus like your Savior, to treat your Savior as a helper, not a king. You're treating Jesus like a helper, not a king. So you say, hey, Jesus, come help me now, but I'm not going to follow you. Come help me out, but once you bail me out, I'm not going to follow you. Jesus, um, he didn't come to be your helper. He didn't come to be my helper. He is the king, a king who came to reverse the order of a lot of things. He, he said things like, instead of always having to finish first, I want you to look for ways to get to the back of the line. Because I didn't even come here to earth to be served. I came here to serve you and to give my life for you. And if you're going to follow me, don't you dare put giving and others at the back of the line. I mean, 
What does that say about your appreciation for Jesus? What does that say about your confidence in God? So that has to change. And if not, we're just fans of Jesus. Or we're just consumers of Jesus. We're not followers of Jesus. And that brings us to the next part of our definition of living generously. So the planned and thoughtful giving. Thoughtful giving of financial resources. Generous people are thoughtful. They predecide. They'll go ahead and make up their mind that they're going to give, and they predecide how much they're going to give away. Okay? Uh, they don't want to be asked. They don't want to see, you know, they don't go checking what's left in, in my checking account. No. They have thought through and predecided an amount or a percentage, and I'll just say a percentage is better because percentages can rise and fall with income. So a generous person picks a percentage. And they set it aside. And the fun part, all right, this is the absolute fun part, is you're just waiting for an opportunity, right? The way I was raised and the way that I've lived my life is that when money comes to me, I put a percentage away immediately to give to the things I feel called to give to. But the first thing I do with my money is I give. And the reason, you say, well, why do you do that is the very first thing. Well, it's found in Matthew 6 later on. So Jesus is talking all these things about money. And in verse 33, he says this, seek the kingdom of God above all else. All right? Seek the kingdom of God. You've probably heard that verse before. But did you realize that Jesus said that in the context of how you manage your money? Yeah, that's important to know. Because Jesus is saying, when something comes your way, you put God's kingdom first. And money is the most practical way to do it. So, people who are generous, they have a plan. And they have predecided what percentage they're going to give away to God and to others. And another part of the thoughtful process is predeciding where you're going to give, right? So, here's what we're going to give, and here's where. The generous person has thought about the types of things or the organizations that they want to give to. Let me be clear. This doesn't mean that you don't give spontaneously, right? Spontaneous giving is kind of the add-on giving. Generous people, they give to those things as well. But there are certain things that they have pre-decided that they're going to give to. And let me give you, this is a great tip here when you're deciding, where, where do I send my money, where do I send my money? Always give from a grateful heart and a broken heart. A grateful heart and a broken heart. And here's what that means. You should think about the things that you are grateful for and the things that break your heart, or you could say that you are passionate about. A great exercise would be to kind of sit down and make a list. These are the things that we are grateful for, and these are the things that we are super passionate about. And when it comes to things that you're grateful for and things that you're passionate about, whatever organization that has benefited you or your kids, or your family, or supports the things that you were passionate about, give to them. All right? This is why. This is why. Listen to me. If you are grateful for your local church, you should have a plan for giving to your local church. And let me tell you, 
I am beyond grateful for what this local church, Next Level Church, has provided for my kids and my family. And this local church also reflects the thing that I am most passionate about. It's leading people to know that there's freedom that can be found in a life with Jesus, a place where people can be real and authentic, and they can ask any question they want about faith. So it makes sense that this local church is the largest part of Jody and I's planned giving. And I have no problem saying, if you are grateful for your local church, you should be giving there. And if you're not grateful for your local church, you should go find a local church that you're truly grateful for and then give there because you're grateful. And again, I will shout this from the mountaintops. Every Christian, every person that calls themselves a follower of Jesus should have a plan for how they support their local church financially. And if you attend and participate in a local church and you don't have a plan for how you support your local church financially, I just want you to ask yourself just a question. Is this because I'm ungrateful? Because if you're grateful for your church, you should have a plan for how to support your church financially. Uh, Let me take this to another level, all right, just so you don't think that this is all about Next Level Church and what we want, okay? Here's the thing. If your children or your grandchildren have left home and they went to a college somewhere and they found a church, right, a church in their college town and they're attending that church, you should send that church some money. Seriously. Aren't you grateful? Or aren't you grateful that there's a church in the town that they want to attend? If so, you need to send them some money. But don't just send them money. Send them a letter that says, hey, I'm going to send you X number of dollars every single month. I love what you're doing. Thank you for ministering to my son or my daughter or my grandchild. And it's because you're grateful. And if you're grateful, show your gratitude and send them some money. Then beyond that, beyond what I'm grateful for, you want to ask the question, what breaks my heart? Right? What stirs my heart? What am I passionate about? Maybe it's those kids in another country. Or or it's the plight of the homeless here in Charlotte. Or it's the needs of the working class. Or the needs of the single moms that you see around you. Maybe it's the many, many, way too many women who find themselves in an abusive relationship. Or, again, the way too many people caught up in the sex trafficking. If there is something that breaks your heart, you need to find an organization that's operating in that space And you need to designate some of your giving and you need to write them a letter that says something like, hey, I am super passionate about what your organization does. So I'm going to send you this money every single month. You don't have to ask me for it. I'm just going to send it. You don't have to invite me to a fundraiser because what you're doing impacts a cause that stirs in my heart. And I'm super passionate about it. So I'm going to regularly give this to you. Anytime. You can marry your giving, your passion, and your time together. That's a win for you. So what breaks your heart? What stirs your heart? What are you passionate about? Now, let me kind of pull all this together by saying this. Saving, we all understand saving. When I save money, it's me saying yes to me. Okay, It's going in my savings account. And you should save money. You really should be saving money. This is a very, very good thing. Saving is saying yes to me. But what we're talking about in living generously, living generously 
is me saying yes to what's important to me. Right? And if you don't have a plan, you won't be able to say yes regularly to the things that are important to you. If you don't have a plan, you will be inconsistent. If you don't have a plan, you'll be thinking, well, how much money is left in my checking account? And after all, you know, that's how everybody else does it. I am encouraging you, don't be like everybody else. Because if you do, you put others last. You put the kingdom of God last. You put the church last. And you just, I don't know how to say this, you just can't consider yourself a Jesus follower if you put everything else below you and last. But if you do this, I'm telling you, you'll make more thoughtful, intentional, passion-filled giving decisions, and you'll feel better about it, all of it. Now, in wrapping up, Let's uh, go to this imaginary checking account. Imagine you have that checking account, and in that checking account is every dollar that you've ever wasted. Do you know where all that money went? Here's where all that money went that you didn't give away. You don't know. You have nothing to show for it. I mean, you got a car, you upsized your house, you upgraded your vacation, but for the most part, where did it go? I mean, I don't know. I, I don't have anything to point to. I don't have anything to show for it. I don't want you to live another season of your life that way. And it's not because I want your money, all the church wants your money, the church just needs your money. Look, if you don't trust me, I totally get that. But you know what? I, as your pastor, am responsible for your discipleship, and how we manage our money is a key discipleship issue. So if you don't trust me, okay, I, I get that, then pick a percentage, make a plan, and give it somewhere else consistently. Just learn to live generously. It's better for you. It's better for your children. It's better for our community. And it's what it means to be a follower of Jesus. So, what if you had that imaginary checking account and all the money that you ever wasted was in it and you had to give it away? Think about all the good that you would do and all the good that you could do. And you know what? You have no idea what your giving capacity is until you have a plan. So here's an action step that I want to encourage you to do. I want to encourage you to do two things this week, if you will. Number one, make a plan. All right, just, just make a plan. Just go home, sit down with your spouse, all right, for those of you that are married, and come up with a plan for your giving. Come up with a plan that puts God at the top of your spending plan. And instead of your spending plan looking like this, right, I can spend it, I'm gonna, I got debt, I've got taxes and saving, and putting giving last, okay, instead of having this, where you're giving its last, let me encourage you, come up with a plan, right? it's just a plan, to move giving to the top of your list. Come up with a plan that puts God and others first. And then here's the second thing I want you to do. So make a plan and then pick a percentage. I got a plan, now pick a percentage. Right? Here's, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to put you first, God. And then put some thought into, well, what percentage of my income do I want to give away? Meaning every time money comes your way, the first thing you do is set that percentage aside to give away. Now, you say, well, Clay, what do you do? For me, that amount has always been at least 10%. In fact, every year when I do my tax, I use TurboTax. Uh, TurboTax always flags my percentage of giving and says, hey, you need to double check this for accuracy. Right? And I only say that to say, I'm not asking you to consider doing something that I'm not already doing or that I haven't been doing my whole life. And here is something that's interesting. There is no New Testament mandate for 10% giving. 
All right, I just want to tell you that. You, you might have heard pastors preaching about the tithe and how you need to give a tithe. There is no mandate for Christians to give 10%. Now, at the same time, there does appear to be something special about that percentage. Right? I know for me, 10% is really where I have to begin to trust God. Anything less than that, I can just work it in. 10% is also where I feel it in my budget. 10% is where I have to make decisions about buying that certain car or going on a vacation or buying something or getting a bigger house or moving or giving to God in the needs that I see around me. I have to make a choice between doing those things. Now, some of you who give at or above that level, you know exactly what I'm talking about. And here's something else that's interesting. I was talking to Pastor Doug about it this week, and he said that, that he's been giving at 10% or more for his whole marriage. Right? He's been married 33 years. Their whole marriage, they've been giving at least 10%. And not one time has he and Donna had a fight about money. So that got me thinking. I went home, and I, I verified this with Jody. I said, hey, Jody, we've been married 30 years. Next month will be 30 years. We've been giving at least 10% all 30 years, and we can say the same thing. Not one time have we had a fight about money. Now, have I had, a, I had to pray about some bills and turn it over to God? Sure. Have I made some stupid purchases? Sure. But not once have we fought about it, and not once have we never been able to pay a bill. Now, am I saying if you give at that level, I guarantee all your money problems will go away? No. No, no, no. No way would I say that. There's no way to prove a causation without a co with just a correlation. Meaning just because I see a correlation between giving at a high level and lower instances of money doesn't guarantee that money problems will go away with higher giving levels. But here's the thing. When scientists observe a correlation, they at least make a note of it and they say, hey, this is worth researching further. So if there seems to be a correlation between high levels of giving and things like happiness and lower levels of financial stress and higher levels of peace and joy, it's at least worth noting. And I would encourage you to try it and see if those things don't become true in your own life. After all, you already know that you can't consume your way to happiness. We talked about that last week. You've already tried it. It's impossible. But if you would flip the script on how you manage your money, you'll save more, you'll consume less, you'll give more, and you will be happier. And listen, I don't want you to live another 10 years and miss out on the joy that could be yours by doing this. So what if you just decided? Today you just decide, look, I'm going to join this what-if experiment. I'm going to jump in, and I'm going to build a plan to live generously, which means you make a plan, and then you pick a percentage, and then you go for it. All right, you make this a way of life, and just sit back and watch and see what happens to you on the inside. Watch and see what begins to happen in your finances. So I would encourage you, would you just go home and do two things? Go home, make a plan to put God at the top of your list when it comes to your spending, and then would you pick a percentage to give to the things that you are grateful and passionate about. And here's the thing. I'm not even going to ask you to actually start giving anything yet. Would you just make a plan, and in that plan, pick a percentage that you want to give away? Right? Do that, and then we will pick up here with part three of the What If Experiment. Can I pray for you? I feel like we need to pray right here. This is all pretty heavy. So, Heavenly Father, I don't want to live another 10 years. I don't want anyone 
to live another 10 years and have missed out on the joy that could be theirs, the joy that could be mine by living generously. Maybe you need to pray, God, I, I need your help. I need your help to build a plan to live generously. Help me to make a plan, pick a percentage, and go for it. Help me to designate it, make it a way of life. And I will watch and see what happens to me on the inside and in my finances. I know that living generously is a keystone habit that has the potential to change everything. So God, help me to give generously and more importantly, to live generously. And help me to see that when I give, I'm not really losing anything, but rather I'm gaining so much more. Help me to experience the joy of giving and see how my generosity makes a difference in your kingdom and in the lives of others. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, hey, friends, thanks for joining us today. If you think today's message might be valuable to someone you know, and I get it, it's a tough one, uh, would you mind sharing this video? Not only could it be helpful for them, but by sharing this content as well as liking and subscribing to the channel, uh, you really do help us accomplish our mission, our mission to raise the reputation of Jesus. And, you know, as we are talking about giving, you know, along these lines, uh, could I help you, uh, could I ask you to head over to our website at nextlevelchurch.org. There is a give button that's there. Uh, if you're ready to give and you're already giving, could you choose one of those giving options? It's through your faithful support that we are able to raise the reputation of Jesus where we live, work, and play. So, by way of benediction, let me read to you again the words of Jesus from Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 and 20, where he says, Don't store up treasures in here on earth where moths eat them and rust destroys them and where thieves break in and steal Store your treasures in heaven. May you make decisions to store up your treasures in heaven. May you be generous with your finances and use them to bless others and advance the kingdom of God. May your heart be filled with joy of giving and may you experience the deep satisfaction that comes from knowing that you are making a difference in the world. Amen. Well, have a blessed week. Go do that homework. I really encourage you to go do that. And we'll see you back next week for part three of the What If Experiment.